And Moses was responsible for leading the people of Israel out of Egypt. And in total, there are around about 600,000 of them. So by, even by modern-day standards, that's the size of a small city. Okay? So they come out, and they don't even know how to behave towards each other. Uh, because they'd been under the rule of the Egyptians for so long, the basic things like how do we treat each other, how do we build a society, they didn't know how to do it. And so a lot of that responsibility Moses took upon himself. Okay? And so one day his father-in-law, a man called Jethro, comes to, to find out how things are going on. He comes to visit him. And he watches what Moses is doing. And at the end of the day, he turns around to him and asks him a very interesting question. He says, what are you doing? What are you doing? And he said, well, I'm, I'm judging the people. They come to me with all the difficult stuff. And he says, the thing that you are doing is not good. The thing that you are doing is not good. In other words, you're going to burn yourself out. You're going to wear yourself out. This is not what God wants. Leadership is now about one person taking all the responsibility. And it struck me that some of those difficult conversations that we read about in the Bible remind me of the difficult conversations I've had in my life. And I thank God for the people who have been kind enough, brave enough over the years to raise those difficult conversations with me, particularly in work. 15, 20 years ago when I started working for the company I worked for, I was not good at taking feedback. I might have said I was, but I wasn't. And as I took on more responsibility and, and took on responsibility for different parts of the world and different cultures, I learned that some of the things and the behaviors and the way that I was portraying myself were quite offensive. Not in a UK culture, but elsewhere, yes. And it took a very brave leader to pull me to one side and to, uh, to speak some hard truth to me, to have a difficult conversation. And I was furious. I was livid all the way back sat in business class all the way from another side of the world. I was chunnering away. And then 24 hours later, I calmed down and realized that he'd put himself out there to help me to help others. And I wrote him a lovely letter, and I just said, thank you. The difficult conversations in our lives are not easy. You know, we duck the issue, don't we? That's what the duck is for. We duck the issue. We like to talk about love, but we don't like to talk about the hard conversations. We don't like to talk about forgiveness. And so if you find yourself in Moses' position uh, this morning where somebody comes to you, it was a Jethro, it was his father-in-law in this case, and they've got some tough love to dish out, accept it with grace and appreciation. That might take a little while to come, but accept it with grace and appreciation. And if you find yourself in the position of a Jethro, seeing something where you think, I have to say something, I urge you to do it with love and empathy and compassion. Words can hurt. Even words that are meant you know, to heal and, and to help people, they can hurt as well. So, and we all have those difficult conversations even in church. Um, and so you know, maybe from time to time those difficult conversations need to arise. And there's a way we can receive and there's a way that we can give that honors God. But I would urge us, don't duck the issue. Those difficult conversations are important. And that brings me on to love and forgiveness. We like to talk about love. And I said this at nine o'clock. You'll fill a church talking about love. Talking about hurt and pain and forgiveness. It's a pretty quick way of, of finding that the seats uh, seem to be a little emptier.
So we're going to talk about that this morning. In the Second World War, there was a lady, um, young lady, maybe 13, 14 years old. Um, her name uh, was Corrie Ten Boom. And anybody heard of Corrie Ten Boom? Yeah. And she did an incredible thing. Her family did. They hid Dutch Jews in their home in a secret hiding place. And sadly, they were betrayed, and they were raided by the Gestapo and the SS. And her family, uh, including her sister, uh, they were taken away to various concentration camps. And Corrie and, and her sister uh, were taken to Ravensbrück, which was particularly awful. And sadly, her sister died in the concentration camp. But before she died, and in that concentration camp, she, she said to her sister, when this is over, we have to forgive. We have to preach what we have learnt, that love overcomes evil. And Corrie dwelt on that. And after the war, she wrote a book. She wrote her, her life story. It was followed up uh, a few years later by uh, a man who looked at seven women in history who had overcome adversity and had forgiven and found something in their hearts to be able to forgive. And it's a book called The Test of Forgiveness, uh, written by a man called Eric Metaxas. And I'm going to quote, it's, it's quite long, the passage, but I think at nine o'clock it struck a resonance with the forks. It's not an easy listen, and it's not an easy read, but it really is important, so, so just bear with it. So this is Corrie, and this is her experience. Okay. Corrie herself was put to the test in 1947, while she was speaking at a conference in Munich. At the close of the service, a bald man in a grey overcoat, stepped forward and greeted her. She froze. She knew the man well. He'd been one of the most vicious guards in Ravensbrück, the one who had mocked the women prisoners as they showered. It came back with a rush, the huge room, the harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses, the shoes in the centre of the floor the shame of having to walk naked past this man. And now here he was in front of me, extending his hand to shake mine. A fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that, as you said, all of our sins are at the bottom of the sea. I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, I fumbled in my pockets rather than take his hand. He would not remember me, of course not. How could he remember one prisoner among thousands of women? But I remembered him. I remembered the leather crop swinging from his belt. I was face to face with one of the worst of my captors. My blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk. I was a guard there. But since then, I've become a Christian. I truly know God has forgiven me for all the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Fraulein, will you forgive me? And he extended his hand again. I stood there, knowing that my sins had been forgiven again and again. And I could not forgive him. My sister Betsy had died in that place. Could he possibly erase her memory, her death, 
simply by asking. He stood there, expectantly looking at me, waiting for me to shake his hand. I wrestled with the most difficult thing I have ever had to do, but I knew I had to do it. You see, the message that God forgives has one condition, that we forgive in the same way that he has forgiven us. And so standing there before that SS guard, I remembered that forgiveness is an act of the will, not just an emotion. And so I prayed, Jesus, help me. I lifted my hand. I could do that much. But I prayed, Lord, you supply the feeling. Help me. And so I put out my hand. And as I did, the most incredible thing took place. It was like a current of electricity in my shoulder racing down into my arm. And it joined our hands. And then a healing warmth flooded my whole body and brought tears into my eyes. I forgive you, brother. I forgive you, I cried with all of my heart. And for the longest moment, we grasped each other's hands, the guard and the prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as that moment. And I realized it was not my love. I had tried. I did not have the love or the power to love that man. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. It's deeply moving. And I don't think any of us, by God's grace, will ever find ourselves in a position of having to try and find for forgiveness for something as deep and as hurtful as that. And as Corrie notes, it's, it's an act of the will. It's tough stuff, isn't it? It's not easy. You know, on a coin, any of us have got a coin in our pockets. There are two sides to a coin. And I think love and forgiveness are those two sides that they go together. And certainly, that is my experience. And I think the defining love, the definition of love and forgiveness, is that they are not passive. They're active. In Corinthians, you know, a very famous passage in 1 Corinthians 13, it describes love in the following ways. It says, love is. Love does not. Love doesn't think not. Love rejoices in, it bears, it believes, it hopes, it endures. Love does. It's not passive. Uh, many years ago, I was at a wedding, and to my shame, I can't even remember whose wedding it was. So if it was yours, it was a great wedding. Uh, if it wasn't, then no harm done. And I can't remember much about the wedding. I don't remember who the bride and the groom were. I don't even remember who the best man was. I mean, that's, you get to a certain age and you go to a lot of weddings. Um, but I do remember what the best man said. And he was talking about love and what had brought the couple together on the day. And it's never left me. And he said that love is an unconditional commitment between two imperfect people. An unconditional commitment between two imperfect people people. And I thought about that and I thought, in a different way of saying that is thinking about Jesus on the cross when he put his arms out and just saying, I'm all in. I'm holding nothing back. I'm in 100% for you. An imperfect person, I love you and I'm not holding anything back. In the Old Testament, we read it was the last verse that was up there. The law was summed up as saying, love your neighbor. That's hard enough to do at the best of times, isn't it? 
we were just, Sandra and I were just talking about that when Rachel asked us to, to share with each other. <sighs> Loving your neighbor, that is a big enough challenge in its own right. But then Jesus takes it further and he says, love your enemy. Love your enemy. <sighs> That's really tough. I remember when the kids were in primary school. And as all kids do in primary school, one minute they're friends, the next minute they're not friends. One minute they're friends, the next, and so on. Anybody that's a parent will, will understand this. And so we were talking one night as we were doing prayers and, um, with the kids. And we got around to this passage where God says, you've got to forgive your enemies. And there was a silence. You could see the cogs going over in the head. Hmm. Doesn't say anything about having to forgive your arch enemies, does it? And it's true. Kids see things in a different way than we see them. But Jesus says, love your enemies. And he proved that. When he was dying on that cross in Luke's gospel in chapter 23, it says, Father, forgive them. As he was dying for you and me and saying, I'm all in. He was praying, Father, forgive those executioners. The Lord's Prayer tells us to forgive as we are forgiven, and that is really, really hard. But what about forgiveness? We often hear people say, I'll f forgive, but I won't forget. Is that forgiveness? You know, as Corrie said in her story, without God's help, it's just lip service, really. We're not really finding forgiveness, true forgiveness, from the heart. And I thought about it from God's perspective. He looks at us, and he forgives us. He proved that by sending his son, and Jesus proved that by dying for us. But then he forgets. The God who made everything chooses to forget and the, the proof of that is in Isaiah 43 in the Old Testament it says, it's a lovely verse it says, I even I, I am the one who blots out your transgressions and I will not remember your sins anymore so all the stuff we've ever done all the stuff that took Jesus to the cross all the stuff we've done this week that we're not proud of we bring it to God and he says, what stuff? Because he sees us through his son and his son's perfect and that is the most amazing thing. I thank God for the slate that has been wiped clean. That he sees me through his son and not as I am. And I, I just want to conclude with a reference to um, Archbishop Desmond Tutu. Some of you will have seen uh, pictures on the TV in the last couple of weeks of his funeral in, in South Africa. And before he died, he was interviewed on American TV, and the interviewer spent a lot of that interview talking to him about forgiveness. Almost repeatedly, not quite understanding what he was saying to him, and at the, right at the end he said, Archbishop, is it really truly possible to forgive? And he took a couple of moments. Silence, we were talking about this before. Silence is extremely powerful. And you could just see he was trying to find a different way of stating his answer. 
He was measured and he was calm and he was reflective. And he talked about all the pain that he had experienced in apartheid. All the people he'd come across who had been tortured by the secret police and the government uh, bodies. About all of the funerals that he'd had to go to. And his conclusion was this. He said, I've seen a lot of evil in my life. A lot of things that I can't understand and I can't understand how one person could be so inhumane to another. He said, but I go back to Luke's gospel as Jesus was being executed. He prayed for those who were taking his life. And he said, although I find that incredibly difficult, that is God's model. And if it was good enough for his son, it's good enough for me. And that's what he took uh, to the grave. I can't remember how many times I've been hurt in church. Many, many times. I, if I've hurt anybody here, I'm sorry. But it's what we do. We are people, we're full of character flaws. We speak words of incredible life and affirm each other, and then in a moment of frustration, we can snap and offend and hurt somebody. If you've been in church any, any length of time, you will have either hurt somebody or somebody's hurt you. That's, we're just a big, messy family, and that's what we do. But above all of that is love, and there is forgiveness. And so, I just encourage us, I know Rachel will probably pick up on this, but it'd be good for us to take a few moments this morning to think about that, so that we have the opportunity to keep things right with God and keep things right with each other.